If you're interested in the topics that you're hearing about on The Vibe, please check out our website. It's thevibeweekly.com. There you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can check out all the blogs with all of the recommendations that Dustin makes, links to purchase things, full videos, links to articles. It's a great resource to go even a little bit deeper on some of the topics that we talk about on the podcast. All right. Hello out there. Uh, Welcome to episode number five of The Vibe Unplugged. Um, We are happy to be here with you today. Um, And we're going to start today with something that we kind of um, ended with last time. But uh, there was a story about a bear and an alligator. I don't think we got into the alligator, so there's some levels to this story. Yeah, so... um, (coughs) Bad timing, sorry. (laughs) Keep that in. Why uh, Why don't you tell the story, Rachel, since you were the most traumatized by it? I think I was more traumatized by the alligator, but... We'll go ahead and uh, I'll tell both. So this was, would have been summer of 2014, I think, because it was our last summer before we had Ave, and we knew it was going to be the last summer before we had kids. And so Dustin planned a road trip because one of my friends from growing up was getting married down in Florida. So we decided we were going to, like, do this elaborate road trip. He had, like, a whole binder full of plans for the whole thing. And stop number one was Shenandoah, and we went camping. And uh, we went on this hike. And I think we got turned around or something because it was supposed to be like a five mile hike. I'm pretty sure we ended up doing like 10 miles. So then it ended up being like sun starting to go down. It's getting a little bit dark and we're climbing back close to the campsite. And we see this really cute little black bear cub going across the pit trail. Like like literally 10 feet in front of us. And at first we we're like, oh, and then we both kind of paused because we realized if there's a baby bear, mama bear is probably not that far away. And so then we look over and probably, I don't know, 100 yards away is the big mama bear. And so we she both... She did not look happy. Yeah. So we both kind of froze a little bit. And then I read somewhere that you just, you don't want to scare a bear. And so we were just kind of talking in an even low voice and we're okay and everything's going to be fine. And we just kind of kept along. And luckily she and baby bear ran off and we got back to the campsite. But it was... Very big surprise. <laughs> yeah, and I think the, the biggest challenge with that is had we been charged by a bear at that point, we were like literally on a like cliff's yeah. edge. There was nowhere to run. The trail was about um, as wide as, as I am. And so yeah. we were we were in tight proximity there. So that could have been a, a very dangerous situation. It could have been bad. And I've always heard that mama bears, which makes sense as a mom, are the most dangerous ones to come across because if they feel like their cub's in danger, then they're going to come at you pretty yeah. hard. And at that point, it was basically dark um, because yeah. we had gotten lost on the trail and so it was a pretty nerve-wracking situation there. Yeah, I think we ended up hiking like through someone's yard mm-hmm. thinking we were going to land on a road that would lead us back to the campground and that was even farther off course. So yeah, that was fun. But then the more terrifying one to me, and I have a theory that maybe you took me on this trip to see if I if I survived, then you were going to start a family with me. And if I didn't, then, oh, well, time to move on to the next. <laughs> because the next thing that we did in Florida that was also terrifying was there are these natural springs somewhere outside of like Jacksonville, Florida, in the north of Florida. And they're beautiful. It's like a really narrow, up here would be like the size of a stream, but they're as clear as like the Caribbean ocean is. You can see all the way down and it's very shallow Um, and so you can rent a kayak and go through this but because it's Florida there are alligators everywhere and the kayak is like an ocean kayak it's not like a canoe or your body's fully inside so you're basically sitting on like a surfboard and paddling and all these native Floridians were totally comfortable with it and are like 
swimming in the water and just having fun. But I was terrified of alligators the whole time. And we get to a certain point where it's especially narrow. Another piece of context is there are currents in this. So it's not like you can just kind of stop in a pond and wait. You're really like pretty forcefully being pushed through this, almost like a lazy river in an amusement park. So we're coming around this bend and we see a couple hundred yards ahead of us, like a seven foot long alligator just right in the middle. And this thing is so narrow, I mean, the width of this table, there was no way we were going to go around this alligator. And so we just start getting closer and closer and I'm freaking out more and more like Dustin, it was Dustin. Like, also like hissing at us, mouth open, like very yeah. unhappy. It was aware of us too. And so finally I just start sobbing, but there's nothing we can do. And we get like right up to it. And just as we would have hit it, it just goes under the water. We go right over the top, like to the point that we could feel its back and then kept going along. But that is one of the closest times I've ever felt to death was that moment right there. Yeah, for some reason, the bear situation was more scary to me than the, the alligator one. It probably was actually more dangerous, but alligators are just terrifying looking. Yeah, Bears I think, look cuddly. I think that was our only our only two run-ins on that trip with, with wild animals and, yeah. and danger. For um, some reason, I kept thinking there was a third, but those I think it was just the two. Sun poisoning in Florida was maybe <laughs> My mom got that really bad after the wedding. Yeah, yeah. so... But no, that was a fun trip and uh, mm -hmm. lots of thrill and excitement. <laughs> yes, that's for sure. <laughs> um, but so this week we're going to jump into uh, one of the topics I wrote about in the last couple of weeks uh, in the Vibe, uh, which is education mm -hmm. and the future of education. And I know this is something that you and I both are passionate about, um, mm -hmm. being former educators and obviously having young children mm -hmm. uh, in the educational system right now. And just kind of thinking back on you know, our time in the classroom, our time growing up in the classroom and the experiences that we had and <clears throat> what that's going to look like in the future. Mm -hmm. And I think you'd be hard pressed to find someone um, that doesn't think that the current educational structure is somewhat broken. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's certainly some some things that are going well and some things that aren't. Um, but as a whole, I think uh, most people would agree that it's, it's time to... Um, innovate a little mm -hmm. bit and and change things up um, because most of the data and, and studies show that uh, in many cases this country is falling behind others um, in terms of um, scoring and and um, lots of different factors and so mm. um, I'm curious your thoughts on on your experience in education and and uh, as a teacher and then mm. now with our kids yeah I think it's funny because I think the the way our educational system is set up now is really geared towards a certain type of student. And I think I kind of was that student, like the compliant, tell me what to do, I'll do it, I'll work really hard for an A, you know, I'll sit there and be quiet for 30 minutes, kind of a student. And I think like it worked really well for someone with my personality type, but then you always hear stories and I think you're in this camp of people that are like the CEO personality type or the founder personality type that we're just kind of bored out of their mind of being forced to just sit there, do the same thing as everybody else, learn in the same way, you know, and that kind of wanted a little bit more control over their educational experience. And I think we're fortunate for our kids and, you know, we were teachers that there are a lot of incredible teachers in our community that that really care a lot about students. And they they even in a lot of cases, I think, are filling mentorship and almost like nurturing roles in these kids lives that sadly are lacking for a lot of students. Um, 
But I completely agree that it, it's so hard when you're a teacher to cater to 30 different students' learning styles, their you know level that they're at with whatever that subject might be. Just because this one student is great at math doesn't mean that they're going to be good in my Spanish class or in your social studies class. Um, managing behavior across 30 different students that are all being forced to sit down and do the same thing at the same time. And so that is where, I mean, I loved how you put it in here, but AI is so uniquely positioned to just be like a co-pilot, you know, like that term really resonates to me here for students as they're going through whatever journey of learning. And so maybe the student, you know, doesn't love math, but if you teach it to them in a way that's visual representation instead of, you know, just looking at numbers on a page, that'll really resonate with them. But a teacher can't pivot like that in real time. So I thought it was really exciting. And like you said, too, we're kind of falling behind because technology and science and these fields are advancing so quickly. And it takes a long time for that to go from the research lab to the general awareness and the professional level to being in textbooks and being taught to, to students. And so a lot of the things that we're learning when we're in school are things that really aren't relevant to our everyday lives. But then we have these huge gaps of understanding before we come out. I mean, do you agree with that? Yeah, and, and I think the AI component can certainly be also a, a co-pilot for the educators themselves, mm -hmm. too. Um, but I just think the, the pace of learning right now, like you said, is is so slow in some mm -hmm. ways. Because, like you said, by the time that <clears throat> new technologies and, and new data and new science and things are uncovered, um, it just takes so long for that to reach the curriculum, yeah. to reach the classroom, for teachers to really understand what it is that they're teaching. And, <clears throat> and by that time, that technology has already changed, you know, right. and that science has, has already changed and, and further developed. And so I think speed is, is one of the biggest problems that we mm -hmm. have in education right now. And AI can certainly um, help us with that, too. But there's just like you said, there's so many different types of students and we we seem to kind of um, try to find like that middle, that average and, and teach to the average. Mm -hmm. um, and it just I think it's really it's really difficult then to not create average learners, mm -hmm. you know, because we have unfortunately we have students in the, you know, uh, school system that are that don't have homes to go to. You mm -hmm. know, they uh, they they don't have any support system at home. You know, they're dealing with. Um, drug issues in their families and all kinds of, of challenges in their lives <clears throat> and we need to support them certainly as much as we possibly can and then we have students that are coming from completely different environments mm -hmm. that, that have a well-structured family and support system and um, are getting supplemental education and things at mm -hmm. home and there's benefit certainly to having both of those kids in the same classroom and sure. some crossover experience and things too And um, but it's also just it's so challenging for that teacher to right. be able to reach both of those students effectively and I think that that's where AI can certainly dive into that a little bit more and create a little bit more of an individualized and personalized mm -hmm. educational experience. And I think also, you know, there's there's a stereotype to it as well. You know, I think a lot of educators, even uh, unconsciously or subconsciously, um, they, they think that this kid that's coming from that difficult situation is just not going to perform as well as the kid coming from a much more structured uh, and stable situation too. And that's just not always the case. And, mm -hmm. and I think what we find is that um, just like adults, you know, kids lean into the things that they are most interested in. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you could put me in calculus all day long and I would do what was necessary to get by with a C in that class and figure it out. But yeah. I'm, I'm going to hate every minute yeah. of it and just not enjoy it regardless of how good that teacher is. And mm -hmm. I'd much rather be diving into to history or geography or technology and science, those mm -hmm. types of things, too. And I think while we all need that foundation across the board in terms of subjects, we should allow students 
to, to really go deeper into the things that they're more passionate about because that's exactly what they're going to do as an adult. And right. we need to nurture that at an early age to, to give them a leg up as, as they move into that part of their lives. I love that. I think what you just said is so important is that teachers, even the best intention teacher, they're still human beings and they're going to have some preconceived notions about certain children or even children that just come from a different cultural background than them. It's going to be really hard for them to connect with like every single individual child. I mean, even as adults, we see that certain personality types just naturally get along better than others. We see that our kids like this teacher better than that teacher. Imagine like a personalized AI that knows your cultural background, that understands how you like to be spoken to, what escalates you in like a situation when you can't understand something or what escalates you and a behavioral issue. We were just talking to someone yesterday who's working with like kids that have experienced trauma and how their behavioral issues show up in the classroom and how teachers can intervene and help them. But one teacher is only one person. And so I think that's, yeah. that's really a key part of it. And I think it's really a good insight. Well, and the other piece too, I think is having that real time feedback because obviously, mm-hmm. again, even if you have two or three teachers in the classroom and students are writing long papers, they're completing tests mm-hmm. and, and whatever activity is that they're doing, it's so hard to give each student that right. quick, immediate feedback. I mean, you and I remember spending weekends grading papers and nights grading papers. And, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes the students wouldn't get back those assignments for a whole nother week. And by that time, you've already moved on the lesson and things right. have changed. And, and the student's not even thinking about what they did a week or two ago. And mm-hmm. so obviously with AI, you could you could write a 10-page paper and then instantaneously get feedback on that mm-hmm. paper, uh, which I think would be really cool. So you can really activate those, those changes and, and the feedback right away. Um, so there's just, I think, so, so many advantages to it. And we've seen it kind of from from all sides, you know, obviously going through the school system ourselves, being educators. Um, and then uh, both of us obviously went to, to public schools. Mm-hmm. Um, we started our, our children in a um, small uh, private school. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they're they're back in, in public school or one of them's back in a public school mm-hmm. as well. And you and I taught at a charter school and I also taught an alternative school. So we've kind of seen kind of the full spectrum of it. And there's pros and cons to each of those. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the reason that we're moving our kids away from the private school structure is just because I I don't think that there's enough life experience when you go to school every day with the same 10 or 11 or 12 kids Mm -hmm. that you've been going to school with um, since you were three or four years old in Mm pre-K. Um, and, and I think it doesn't give you enough exposure to the world. Um, it doesn't give you enough exposure to different ideas, um, different experiences, different cultures. And for us, it was just very important um, that our, our children, you know, have that full, well-rounded experience. And also, um, you know, for better or worse, public schools have, have more access to different programs mm-hmm. and funding and resources than, than most private schools do. Yeah. And so there's opportunities to to do different things and to lean into some technologies and things that that those private schools may not have as well. Yeah, I agree. I think the extracurricular side of things has been really helpful for Avery, and she's kind of found some different areas that she enjoys, new sports, you know, like accelerated programming and stuff like that. So I agree. There's just a kind of a different world, and it's it's one of the things that's really interesting about our area, too, is how much disparity there can be between school systems and different schools in terms of funding, you know, and um, it does. It affects the kids' experience on the ground level. So we've been really fortunate for our kids. I think they had a great start and a great foundation built at a private school. It was a really nice transition for them from being at home, kind of like one-on-one, to like a small, tight-knit, warm group. But we kind of want to slowly widen there horizons a little bit and let them see the world a little bit at a time. 
Yeah, and, and then the other piece to that too that I, I hope is is coming more and more is um, teaching kids about like personal finance and accounting mm-hmm. and budgeting and how to use different technologies that are here today and that are coming tomorrow. Yeah. And just so many more practical skills that I just, you know, unfortunately it doesn't seem like they're getting quite as much of today. And, you know, even even when we were in school, I think for the most part, like the home ec stuff was was not around and non-existent mm-hmm. like it was for our parents and grandparents' generation. And yeah, I miss the cooking and the financial side. <laughs> yeah. And so... <laughs> We were fortunate, um, at least at my school, to have like a carpentry program and a welding program mm-hmm. and some different like tech areas that we could kind of explore and lean into a little bit, which was really useful and, and I think is, is a good step in the right direction. But there's just so many life skills that, that kids are not getting mm-hmm. um, at home and, and, and maybe their parents didn't get either. Mm-hmm. So there's no one to teach them. And so I think it's just it's important to incorporate those things more into our curriculum. And I know, you know, schools only have so much time in a day um and mm-hmm. and right now they're they're unfortunately they're forced to teach to standardized tests right you know that's how they're evaluated at schools that's how teachers are evaluated and um you know we've we've been in that uh system in that game and it's not fun you know it's not fun because um you know you want to lean into certain topics that kids are expressing mm-hmm. interest in or maybe spend a little bit more time on this part of history and you just you simply don't have the time because that knowledge base has to be um, so specific to that test that right. it just makes it really difficult yeah no i totally agree but i think we're heading in a good direction with all the ai advancements coming so yes well shifting gears a little bit i feel like i say this every week but i think this might be one of my most favorite mid-journey ones that you've done because i love the little city in a raindrop and just the idea of like playing with scale like you said and I thought that one really turned out neat what was in your mind when you came up with this one idea yeah I love playing with um perspective just kind of in different ways and scale like you said and um, a while back I created like a um a scene in a bottle uh, which was kind of cool it was like a little world inside of a a, a jar or a bottle and um, that was just kind of fun to get different iterations of that. And as you know, I love visiting cities and the hustle and the bustle and the activity and things <laughs> to do and eating and all of that. And so um, I thought it'd be kind of cool to, I think it was a rainy day when I was doing this to kind of Probably. See, see the city through a raindrop. And so I don't know what struck me specifically to create it, but um, I thought it turned out pretty neat. It's neat. Yeah. You can almost feel like you're right there. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's incredible how quickly, um, even that technology is, is changing so rapidly. And, and I mentioned in, I think, that same um, vibe that AI video is just getting, like, off the charts, yeah. incredible. And um, with OpenAI's uh, release of their, their new product, Sora, right now, it's just, it's incredible. I mean, you can create, um, and they haven't released it yet to the public. They're still testing it out and making sure that things work as they should. But um, a one-minute video from a single image yeah. that is so realistic that it's almost impossible to tell that it's not real. And just think about, like, in five or ten years, what that means for entertainment. I know. Uh, what that means for art. And, I mean, <clears throat> it was a, I think it was a Black Mirror episode or something, but it's a... It's, <laughs> I was it, just going to say this. It's going to come to fruition at some point. It's just a matter of when. Like, we will be able to have a personalized movie mm-hmm. created for us. And so, like, you know, one of my favorite movies is, like, Interstellar. And so... 
I could, I'm sure, in the future, tell AI to create me Interstellar 2, 3, 4, and 5. And you, you know? could be Matthew McConaughey if you I wanted to. I could be Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> it? Unfortunately, I won't get the same paycheck. But, um, <laughs> you know, there's just there's so much customization and personalization that you can do with technology now. And I just think that that's going to be 10x in the future. And, mm-hmm. and who knows what that means for the movie industry and the entertainment industry because changes are, are definitely coming. Yeah. What was that? Was it like Sharon is awful or something? It was something like that. Mm, yeah. The Black Mirror. Yeah. yeah but yeah. it was really fascinating. If you haven't seen it, it's a really interesting take on this topic. But it's about like this whole girl's life turns into a movie essentially mm-hmm. and there's layers to it. But yeah, yes. it's crazy to think about. And that, that one I think kind of referenced what we always talk about in like living in the matrix too. Like are we are we currently the movie and is there another layer <laughs> to this movie or the video game? Like the Truman else's? Show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, interesting science and philosophy around that that we could certainly dive deep into. (laughs) (laughs) It's getting a little woo-woo at that point, I guess. Um, But you also mentioned the latest episode, podcast-wise, of the Ben and Mark show. And I actually haven't heard this one, so I'm interested to hear kind of what it was about. Yeah, so um, uh, Ben Horowitz and uh, Mark Andreessen, um, they are venture capitalists, Andreessen Horowitz, Mm -hmm. um, and tech founders and just have an incredible background in business and um, I've talked about it before but one of my favorite business books of all time is is from Ben Horowitz it's The Hard Thing About the Hard Things and mm-hmm. for those of you interested in reading that book um, <clears throat> I don't think there's a bad time to read it really I think it gives you a really good foundation if you have interest in, in business or, or you have a business mm-hmm. but I think it was way more impactful for me to read it once we were already a few years into business. Agreed. Um, because I think when you're when you're still figuring things out, you don't you don't know what questions to ask or you don't know what you don't know. And I you think, don't think you're going to have some of these problems yeah, too. <laughs> yeah, you're, when you're really small and, and you're just building. Obviously, there's there's growing pains and startup pains too, but you just don't you don't know you don't know right. yet. And and once you have a better understanding of like oh yeah, this seems to happen a lot or mm-hmm. these are some deficiencies or weaknesses in our company and we keep making the same mistakes or whatever it might be. I think this book is like the Bible for helping you through those challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I do highly recommend it for anyone in business. But um, going back to the podcast, um, so um, Ben and Mark started a podcast not too long ago, maybe it's been a year or so ago at this point, um, but typically they dive deep into different topics around technology um, and and they have a couple of different podcasts, but this one specifically is is typically those two just just kind of talking and debating back and forth different topics. And they spent some time talking about higher education specifically and what that looks like moving forward. Um, and I've I've written about some of this previously too, and just the cost of higher education today mm-hmm. and um, what the ROI potential is for that. You know, a lot of the um, Ivy League universities have been under the microscope lately, obviously for. For not great reasons, um, and the luster for some seems to be wearing off. And mm-hmm. a Harvard degree today might not be the same thing as it was ten, mm-hmm. or fifteen, or twenty years ago, but the cost certainly are are significant. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I'm um, I'm curious what your thoughts are just on you know higher education as a whole, um, and uh, what that looks like maybe moving forward. Yeah, I mean that's hard to say. I struggle with it a little bit because I, I really valued my college time as a life experience. And, and I don't know that this part will be as important. I think the social aspect of it, the ability to travel, you know, those sorts of things will always have importance. Um, but the other thing that was really important to me in college was having exposure to a wider variety of areas to learn about. You know, like we were saying just a minute ago, 
when you're in high school, you're learning about math and history and English and, you know, just pretty mostly the standard topics. There are a couple, you know, extra topics here and there, but it's not as wide. Um, and so I love the ability to dive into like, I don't know, psychology and economics and just international relations, things that you could really start to get specialized in. But if AI is kind of giving you that learning experience, your whole educational career, I don't know if it'll be as important to have a higher level. And if you are, maybe you're like super specialized and it just looks totally different, or maybe there's some sort of a social developmental construct that happens kind of like, you know, like the Peace Corps mm -hmm. style of thing. I don't know. But for me, I loved that time in my life. And I don't think I was from a maturity standpoint, ready to go right from high school to the working world. But I don't know that a higher education degree in the traditional sense will, will exist in 20, 30 years. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Okay. Um, well, for those of us that aren't smart enough to get a full ride like you, um, I guess the, the question is, um, yeah, I totally agree that that life experience is really important. It exposes you to just so much of the world that you don't see in a, growing up in a small town. Um, but at what cost, you know, and are there ways that um, kids graduating from high school can have similar experiences, mm -hmm. you know, without maybe that significant cost burden um, that, that college is today? And then I just read a study, I think, um, uh, yesterday or, or, or this morning um, about, I, I can't remember the percentage, but something like 80 plus percent of people today in this country are working in a job that does not require a college degree hmm. or that is Real different <laughs> from the college degree that, that they obtained. Mm -hmm. And so, again, when you think about the economics of higher education, I think the argument becomes a little more difficult mm -hmm. the further that technology advances and as the um, workforce and, mm -hmm. and demands economically change as well. Um, it's just becoming a little bit more of a gig economy, like, mm -hmm. you know, people have been talking about for years. And, and I know when, you know, when we hire people, um, that is, that's like the last thing I look at is what is their educational True, yeah. background? You know, I want to see who they are as a person, their grit, their, their intellect, mm -hmm. um, you know, what drives them and, and just the soft skills that I think are much more important than, than having e even experience in the industry. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, it takes a lot of growing pains to learn how to identify what those yeah. are. Um, but the last thing I look at is, is where they went to college or what their degree was in. Oh, yeah. From a from a financial ROI, I agree. It's really hard to make that argument. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, jumping into one of my favorite new gadgets um, mm -hmm. that I got recently, and unfortunately I left it home on the charger today, <clears throat> is the um, Aura mm -hmm. Ring. And I have been really loving it. I, um, I love data, um, mm -hmm. and so I'm collecting data constantly, um, kind of like a biohacking person myself. <laughs> um, but I wear the Apple Watch every day, um, and now I wear the Aura ring every day as well. And what I really like about Aura is it gives you different insights than, than the Apple Watch. Mm -hmm. um, it does a really good job of tracking your sleep patterns. Mm -hmm. um, and it's... It's more than just telling you um, whether you slept well or not, but it's giving you the reasons why that you don't feel as rested maybe when you wake mm -hmm. up because you can lay in bed for eight hours in a night and um, not get a restful sleep um, because, as you know, people wake up and, and move around and the temperature of the room could mm -hmm. change or your heart rate could change for some reason. And so having all of that data, I think, helps you have a little bit more control over your sleep quality. Right. Um, but then I love they have this what's called the readiness score as well, that when you wake up the next day, you can kind of look at it and see like, OK, based on my 
sleep and restfulness that night based on the activity, um, the exercise and different things that, that went on the previous day. Here's how like prepared I am to, to go get it today. <laughs> yeah. And how full your tank is. Yeah. And it's I think it's useful because it allows you to um, just kind of have that mindset going into the day. You know, like if your score, it's it's at zero to 100. If you're at like a 50, then don't beat yourself up too bad mm-hmm. because there's a reason that you're at a 50 today and you're not performing maybe at level 10. Um, but if you're at an at a ninety and and you've you've done what's necessary to be rested and ready for the day, then go get it and and go mm-hmm. after it. And I think it's kind of uh, it's a little bit competitive for me. I'm competing against myself to try to get the highest <laughs> score each day, but it's also really uh, helped me inform uh, my decision making and, and my activity for the next day. Have you noticed any um, trends or patterns in your sleep? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing for me and probably for most people is having a consistent sleep schedule. Mm -hmm. And so um, it will kind of notify me and tell me like, hey, you need to start getting ready for bed at this time. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, that's usually like 830 Mm -hmm. um, because I get up so early. But I find that if I'm consistent with my schedule, if the temperature in the room is where it needs to be. And and for us, we keep it at like 66 degrees um, because cold cold is is better. Mm -hmm. Um, Having the room completely pitch black without any light. Mm -hmm. um, I have this little... um, essential oil like diffuser um, with like <laughs> Very s- fancy. sleep sense that um, I, I put in there at night too. And so if I do all of those things, it's almost kind of like my morning routine. I know if I do my morning routine and kind of stick to it to a T that mm-hmm. the day is going to be really good. And um, it's kind of the same thing for the night routine for getting quality sleep. And I've noticed that if I deviate from that schedule, um, then it messes me up for a day or two or three sometimes, yeah. especially if I'm, I'm out late uh, on a weekend night or something. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes a couple of days to get back to it. Having noticed because I think you're better about caffeine than I am. I'm pretty bad about, well, this is all full of coffee <laughs> and then also getting more coffee. But do you ever notice a correlation, like if you do an energy drink in the afternoon or something like that? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that it tracks is um, your heart rate through the night, too. And the longer it takes for your heart rate to kind of um, sink down to that, like, resting level, mm-hmm. um, typically the less uh, or the worst quality of sleep that you get. Yeah. Um, and so... I try not to have any caffeine usually after like noon during the day. Um, as you know, I like my like Alani new energy drink in the morning, and then you I may and Rick have both. yeah, I may have some green tea or something after that. But I try to cut it off at, at noon each day, mm-hmm. so that's not been too challenging for me. Um, but occasionally, I'll do a shot of espresso in the afternoon if I'm feeling slumped mm-hmm. and. I do think that that impacts my, my quality of sleep that night, too. I think so, too, the older I get. And that reminds me of something just completely unrelated. But I mentioned to you about caffeine, which I thought was so interesting, is I think it was Tim Ferriss had a podcast episode with a doctor who studied the effects of Ibogaine, the psychedelic, mm-hmm. on soldiers that have had a lot of traumatic experiences in combat and how that impacts their PTSD. But one of the unintended consequences of it is almost 100% of the soldiers that took Ibogaine decided voluntarily just to stop drinking caffeine. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't even a goal of theirs going into it. They just kind of realized, I guess, on some deeper subconscious level the way it was affecting them. So Yeah, I mean, if you listen to Huberman or, um, you know, endless scientists and research out there, I mean, caffeine is a a form of a drug, you know, just like alcohol and everything else. And I think most of those things in moderation are okay um, but just just like with um, with caffeine alcohol like even just one glass of wine at night completely disrupts my sleep and makes me a little bit groggy the next day and mm-hmm. so 
Um, as you know, during the week I have zero alcohol and even on the weekends, I just try to have one or two glasses, um, you know, because mm-hmm. that, that sleep quality is just so important. And when you get, yeah. when you have an incredible night's sleep and you wake up knowing what that feels like, mm-hmm. it does not make you want to go back to not feeling that way. I agree. And that's where like caffeine can be so insidious because it's like you are tired. So you drink a lot of caffeine and you drink more caffeine cause you're still tired and then you don't sleep well. And yes. then it just like goes on and on. And so, yeah. I've been marinating on it a lot. I haven't actually made any changes yet, though. Yeah. So the um, the last thing I wanted to talk about was the uh, Miley Cyrus picture, which was... <laughs> not not just because it's Miley funny. Cyrus. You know, I'm a big Miley Cyrus fan. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the research that, that came out, this is, this is pretty old research, but it just, I think, popped up again for some reason, um, that actually holding cash in your hand... Like alleviates stress, um, makes you more calm. Um, it gives you more confidence, and just kind of reframes your mindset. And that was really interesting to me. Um, we we uh, we we have previously been like Dave Ramsey people and yeah. operated with cash and and not credit. And we we continue to be you know debt free, but we do enjoy the points on our credit card that yeah. we just pay off every Especially week and travel. So, yeah. I'm curious what your thoughts are on that and if you've ever if you've ever noticed that sensation in yourself. I never have, but also I will say I think that cash makes because in the Dave Ramsey philosophy is that like paying for things in cash makes it more tangible. And I've definitely noticed that. But I don't know that I've ever noticed like feeling emotionally different. But as you know, I'm terrible with money anyway. So I maybe don't have quite the heightened like emotional connection to it that most people do. I will say as a kid or like at times of my life where I didn't often have the ability to purchase something, I think having money made you feel kind of like, oh, yeah, like I'm I have power a little bit. Like I can go out and go to Walmart and buy a toy next time I'm there, like our kids would say. But I don't know that I've ever noticed this before. It does remind me of a completely different thing about like reducing pain that they've done studies of if you're holding the hand of someone that you love and they like give you an electric shock, they people do register lower levels of pain with that, mm-hmm. which I don't know, I can see that more than the cash thing, but obviously they did the research. What about you? Yeah. I, just like you, I haven't, I haven't noticed it, but it's, it's very rare today that I hold a wad of cash Same, in my yeah. hand. And so <laughs> maybe I need to get a wad of cash and hold it and see how I feel. Um, <laughs> just going to walk around my office out. holding just, just a big hold wad of cash. Yeah. Um, but no, I thought, I thought it was really interesting um, mm-hmm. concept that uh, like you said, your your brain just does weird things sometimes around different things. And there's, yeah. you know, you and I always talk about kind of like the, the woo-woo side of, of science too. And like, what what is it that creates that inside of you? And, and mm-hmm. um, why is it that when you hold, you know, someone's hand that that alleviates pain to some extent too? And mm-hmm. I don't think that scientists have fully uncovered all of these things yet. And, no. and we'll learn more over the next decades, but um, it is fascinating. Yeah, yeah. I, I- I just can't wait to watch you walk around the office just carrying a wad of cash and yeah. people wonder what you're doing. We should do like an office episode with that, just holding cash around <laughs> there trying we to go. pump everybody Someone up. Someone write this idea down. You're just yeah. throwing cash at people. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, we are now complete. Episode number five. Five episodes. So thank you for joining us today. Um, if you aren't subscribed to the newsletter, um, just go to thevibeweekly.com mm-hmm. and you can subscribe to it. Um, but we, we typically release the newsletter on Monday mornings and the mm-hmm. podcast on Monday afternoons or Tuesdays. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can choose your medium, but hopefully you enjoy it and get some kind of value out of it and our silly stories. But thanks again. <laughs>
If you're interested in the topics that you're hearing about on The Vibe, please check out our website. It's theviveweekly.com. There you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can check out all the blogs with all of the recommendations that Dustin makes, links to purchase things, full videos, links to articles. It's a great resource to go even a little bit deeper on some of the topics that we talk about on the podcast.